Blog Talk Radio. It's October 22nd, 2017. Hello and welcome to Working for a Living Radio Show, where progressives for change present opinions that matter. Tonight we're joined by co-hosts Jeff Brown and David Fillion. I'm your moderator, Leroy McKnight. Please remember good leadership is never about power and control, but rather for the honor and the privilege of serving the members in the interest of the membership. To be sure, each and every member of the leadership team of Working for a Living is committed to returning our union, the UAW, to a labor ethos, and that ethos then administered in the interest of all the rank-and-file members. Having said that, we certainly hope that most of you had an enjoyable week and that you had a lot of fun and stayed safe. Let's go to announcements. Announcement number one, regarding 21-year-old Jacoby Hennings of Harper Woods, Michigan, a temporary employee of the Woodhaven Stamping Plant and member of the United Auto Workers Local 387, last Friday, for reasons that we may only speculate about, our union brother, Jacoby Hennings, while in the plant, took his own life by gunfire. Marilyn Knight, a risk management expert with Novi-based incident management team, said workplace violent incidents like Friday's shooting are not, are not random, and there is no simple or easy explanation for them. May we please have a moment of silence for Brother Jacoby Hennings. Thank you. May you rest in peace, brother, and that you found whatever peace you needed to have. It's very sad in all of us in our union. I can tell you when it was posted that hundreds of people reacted and commented, even though you can't listen to us. But if you could hear us, we really, really are sad. And to all of your family, friends, and coworkers, working for a living, expresses our deepest condolences to you. Announcement number two. Uh, Once again, congratulations to the leadership and bargaining team of Unifor Local Union 88 at the GM Cami Assembly plant in Ontario as they have resolved their strike. More on that later in the show. We're happy to have them on the show, or him on the show uh, this evening. Um, announcement number three, remember that Team Working for a Living supports Medicare for Everyone and removing the $127,000 limitation on earnings that are subject to participation in Social Security. Team Working for a Living continues to oppose the Working 
Families Flexibility Act, that was number four. Number five, Team Working for a Living continues to stand shoulder to shoulder with the Michigan Building Trades against the legislation introduced to repeal Michigan's prevailing wage. If you are presented with a petition that has anything to do with prevailing wage, please decline to sign that. The Building Trades have asked us to announce that they want, they would like you to decline to sign any petition regarding prevailing wage, no matter who you are, if you're union or non-union, in the state of Michigan. If you have friends in the state of Michigan, please call and remind them that. Thank you. Announcement number six. Last week we announced that on October 11th, GM uh, had purchased Strobe uh, Incorporated, and that was for an undisclosed amount. This ought to be an interesting acquisition as Strobe has created a low-cost, next-generation LiDAR distancing and ranging technologies necessary for auto-mount driving. Or must be automatic, and somebody's uh, auto-corrected that. Um, I want to expand on that a little bit. I don't know that I did that last week. Uh, up until now, cameras could see only in two dimensions. And I've been assured by the highest level PhDs in mathematics, IT, computer engineering, that that is the only stepping or block in the way of true artificial intelligence. So distancing and ranging as an optic for a robot or a vehicle or anything else, artificial intelligence is truly a big deal. And mark that on your calendar. October 11, 2017 is when this came to light. This is a big, big, big deal that could replace each and every one of us for all time. I talked to somebody yesterday at breakfast. He didn't have a clue who I was. He was from FCA, Chrysler America, Fiat Chrysler America. And he presented to me that he supervises 27 human beings and 600 robots in his department at Chrysler. 25 to 1 ratio. You know, we got to stop fighting between ourselves and start figuring out this problem. Because it's way bigger than anything, anything else that we talk about on this show. Having said that, announcement number 7, October 20. 2017, the U.S. Senate passed a budget bill that slashes Medicare and Medicaid and offers more tax breaks to the wealthy. Announcement number eight, remember this month is designated as Pinktober in honor of Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And getting to our messages and email. Message and email number one, UAW Region 5 supports you 
you being Unifor Local 88, and congratulations on a tentative agreement. That's from Region 5. That's the western part of the United States, west of Mississippi, with the exception of some of the uh, uh, Iowa, Dakotas, and Montana. I'm, uh, off the top of my head now. Uh, or email number three, Miss Jeff last week. That's from Pennsylvania. Uh, number four, thank you for highlighting Pinktober as Oct uh, and October as Breast Cancer Awareness Month. That's from the Michigan American Cancer Society. They were happy that we're doing that, and we're pleased to do it for them. One of their supervisors reached out. And thank you for that, by the way. Uh, you're, and you're very welcome that we're doing it. So, uh, Number five, uh, could you please help Dr. Pamela Gowdry's video go viral? That's from Florida. Yes, it is featured on the dot-com page for this show. And for those of you that might want to go there and watch that, you just scroll down a little bit. Uh, Pamela, Dr. Pamela Gowdry is a physician. Uh, she's a widow of a 20-year veteran of the United States Navy, who was a, a captain, was not deceased in, as a matter of uh, military service, but she was on a plane where they were bringing home a deceased soldier who was accompanied by a soldier, uh, his uh, comrade, uh, that was on the plane, and he was in a coffin in the, the bottom part of the plane. She asked that they uh, sing the national anthem, and she was denied by the airline that she was on to do that. She asked everybody, and then they came on and told everybody not to do it. You can listen to her story on her uh, on the page that this show is on. So it's uh, I think better said by her than me. So take a moment, and if you want to share it to all your friends, that would be also very appreciated. That, again, was requested from Florida, an amazing uh, member of the UAW, uh, still a member as a retiree. Uh, number six, uh, I like the helpful information in, you provide in your articles. I'll bookmark your blog and check here again regularly. I'm quite sure I'll learn many new stuff right here, and that came from Iowa. Not everybody has the most perfect um, um, syntax, and we appreciate that. Uh, announcement number seven, or email number seven, Leroy, you were not clear on some issue last week, and I didn't fully understand. Would you clarify? That's from Missouri. I'll cover that a little later in the show for you. Uh, it's probably a little more detail than what we want to get to here. Uh, let me bring on uh, David and Jeff and... Is that you, Jeff? Yep. How you doing, Leroy? Pretty good. Pretty good. Hi, uh, David. How are you doing? Pretty good, Leroy. How are you? We're we're fantastic. Uh, I'm going to let you guys kibitz a little bit. Oh, by the way, uh, just for everybody's edification, Michigan State beat Indiana yesterday uh, in a in a hard fought game. Indiana was an amazing uh, com opponent uh, in football. And we're happy to report that. <laughs> so you guys can go chat for a second. I'll be right back. Hi, Dave. Hi, Jeff. Awful sorry about that loss yesterday at Penn State. 
you know, I didn't even watch the game. I, I've been really busy the last couple of days. Um, I just went to bed. Um, Penn State, you know, they really turned that program around the last couple of years after all that uh, controversy um, a few years back. So, yeah. We play them the week after next. And I don't think that uh, we're going to probably get beat. Um, yep. Right now, I'm looking at our season to be nine and three. That's okay, odd. guys, you guys, kibitzed enough? Yeah. Okay. Bring on our guests. All right. Um, I'd like to bring on our uh, special guests for this evening's show. This is uh, uh, from Canada. And we have with us Unifor Local Union 88 President Dan Borthwick. Good evening. Good evening. How are we all doing? Yeah, we, we had a little applause for you there, Dan. <laughs> we found ourselves a track. We're doing pretty good. Uh, 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 you know, as you know, we have uh, David and Jeff here. Uh, for, on the show right now, so a lot yep. of others in the switchboard listening. Lot, lots and lots of people interested in what you have to say, and of course, there's listeners around the world, country, and and uh, in all of North America that listen in. So, um, uh, you know, it, it's uh, not lost on us that you got a tentative agreement, and uh, that seems to have been ratified, and everyone's now back to work. Uh, and there, there might be some more need even still for some strike assistance because there might be some folks who really did fall through the cracks during the four-plus weeks that you were out. Uh, so first of all, you want to uh, tell us a little bit about uh, your your timeline because we caught you the first week. If you could give us your timeline on the uh, the entire strike uh, and then fill us in a little bit about what the tentative agreement and ratified agreement uh, has uh, benefited the, the members that you represent. So timeline first, sir. Okay, so uh, as everyone should know, we uh, went on strike September 17th after we were unable to reach a tentative agreement that addressed our uh, outstanding contract languages, uh, economic issues, and job security. Uh, that strike went... Uh, four weeks approximately. Uh, we had several meetings with the GMR employer over that period and it wasn't until uh, October the 13th, Friday, October the 13th, that we were able to reach a tentative agreement with uh, General Motors uh, and we took that tentative agreement to our membership on Monday, October the 16th and at which time the membership voted 85.9% in favor of the new agreement. And the membership has been back to work since uh, 11 p.m. on this, uh, October the 16th, so uh, last Monday. Good. Good. Uh, so, yeah, that, that's, so the, I mean, that's a nice resolution to that. Uh, 
and you know it, the the members were out four weeks, so this is quite a hardship on you know a lot of people, and probably even more of a hardship on a few that fell through the cracks on this. You might you know might have been large families or something trying to get through this. So. This was uh, definitely a struggle that our uh, membership uh, went through. Uh, four weeks out on the uh, picket line with uh, significantly reduced uh, income uh, through our strike pay uh, left our members uh, standing in solidarity but uh, ultimately wanting to get back to work and, and get back to somewhat normal and, and get a regular paycheck. But our members stood strong throughout the four weeks. I would uh, say they've uh, solidarity grew as the weeks went on, and this, uh, I think, is a result of the uh, support that we received from the the community, the immediate community in which we live, so Ingersoll, Oxford, and southwestern Ontario, uh, the rest of Canada, uh, the states, uh, even uh, Mexican uh, workers were uh, sending messages of uh, solidarity and support uh, to us on a regular basis, daily basis, uh, showing signs, uh, showing tremendous support for our, our struggle and our membership and the leadership is very appreciative of the support that we did receive during the four weeks and, and continue to receive. We still continue to get uh, messages and emails and texts from, uh, all over the, all over, uh, uh Ontario, Canada, and the rest of the uh, states in Mexico. It's been a very a, a shitty situation, but it's been a very positive situation too. Yeah, this solidarity really does come come to the fore when you're out on strike. Uh, it, you know, it's one of the times that everybody joins shoulder to shoulder and locks elbows and says, this is who we are and we're standing strong until we get resolution. So. I'm glad to hear that your membership stood solid in solidarity the entire time uh, that you were out on strike, and while you uh, even, you know, uh, were in the ratification process, sounds like you had a good, strong number there uh, in in support of your uh, uh, contract that you got. Uh, are you at liberty to give us any of the highlights at this time of your contract yeah. that you? Yeah. Okay. So uh, the contract is a four-year contract. It will uh, expire in September of 2021. Uh, it sees for production workers, it sees a dollar 38 increase over the life of the agreement, uh, and a dollar 63 for trades members over the life of the agreement. Uh, we've got a $6,000 uh, signing bonus. Uh, our performance bonus, sorry, and then we have a uh, lump sum payments totaling 8000 over the life of the agreement, 2000 in each of the Decembers of the collective agreement. So uh, seniority member would, will see uh, just over $21,000 in improvements over the life of the uh, cash value over the life of the agreement. We were able to uh, negotiate some in, uh, incentive packages, 100 incentive packages that will hopefully our senior members will uh, take uh, up in the first six months of 2018, which would uh, directly re uh, affect uh, our members that are on layoff and ability for them to recall. 
we did improve some of our uh, dental or our benefit programs. Uh, so we improved some of the uh, dental uh, fee structures, uh, psychologist treatment, physiotherapy treatment, and uh, child care uh, coverage uh, for our uh, preschool and after school uh, care. We also negotiated a mental health awareness program. Uh, this is the first in uh, Ottawa and in Canada at least. Uh, in today's uh, world there's lots of stresses and uh, factors that affect uh, people and we took the initiative as a local union uh, to t establish a mental health program that will establish programs to serve uh, and effective and, and develop recommendations in the workplace around strategies and promotions and ideas to uh, that will benefit uh, workers in, in their day-to-day -day dealings and uh, stressful situations that they uh, work on. We also negotiated a domestic violence assistance program uh, that provides uh, domestic violence coverage where our sickness and accident benefit doesn't cover the program. We have covered for up to 10 days for uh, members to be covered. We also, uh, one of our big items going into negotiations uh, along with contract language was the, uh, and economics, was the ability to provide some type of job security. Uh, we identified a uh, lead producer letter, paint shop, some type of investment. Unfortunately, we were unable to uh, get those specific items. So what we did was uh, looked at our current job security document and we improved uh, programs in the, uh, the document around restructuring plant closures to allow for sub-benefit uh, grow-ins to retirement, uh, enhanced early retirement allowance options, and then uh, pre-retirement income maintenance benefit program. So with that, we had a, a income security fund of uh, $190 million. We were able to uh, increase that by $100 million, and so we're at $290 million. Uh, then we've... Uh, over the life of the agreement, we got 64 paid holidays, and we've also maintained our mandatory vacation. We're one of the only plants, uh, I believe, around that still has mandatory vacation, which uh, our members uh, find very important and uh, like the time off work when we're working six days a week, so mandatory vacation and time out of the plant is very important to our members. That kind of uh, summarizes most of it. Okay. Um, I, I, I know that we have members listening that are oh so curious uh, about the uh, 100 uh, senior members. Uh, what sort of incentive package was that that they uh, are going to be offered in the first six months of 2018? So we have the Members that are retirement eligible would uh, immediately receive a retirement allowance of 50000 and a $20,000 vehicle voucher. We have members that have come from uh, another workplace into our, our workplace. Uh, some people will remember the Lectomotive members in uh, London. 
the uh, Caterpillar plant that closed down, a lot of those uh, workers, 130 of those workers came to our plant through uh, a PREF hire. And the, the, uh, we've provided uh, post-retirement health care benefits uh, for them in retirement. And then members with less or with greater than five years but don't qualify for any of the retirement programs, uh, we've, uh, they have access to our voluntary termination of employment benefits uh, program. And then members uh, with greater than one uh, but less than five years would have a $20,000 uh, incentive to leave the workplace. Oh, so that's pretty substantial. Uh, so that's, that's cool. Um, I I want to point out to all the listeners, especially the listeners in the U.S., as they start to calculate their incentive uh, plans, <laughs> that the Canadian dollar and the U.S. dollar are at a distinct uh, difference. Uh, I'm not exactly sure where it's at this day because it changes daily. Uh, last I heard it was around 128. Do the calculations, check it on the internet, uh, and know that uh, these numbers are different by whatever that difference is for us. So just please be aware of that as you start calculating your money that you plan on getting in, in uh, a couple of years. Uh, so I'd like to point, just point that out to everybody, man, because um, uh, this is substantial for you and your members. But, it, you know, in the United States, it would be uh, about 30 percent less for the people that, that are listening that work in the United States as they can consider it. Uh, so 25 to 30 percent given, depending on a given day. Uh, so um, that's that's substantial. That is very substantial. Uh, as uh, we all know, and certainly you know, uh, you know, our management rights clause in the states, it's paragraph 8, they reserve the right to run the business, you know, hire, fire, uh, and, uh, you know, assign product at, at all times. We like to try and, uh, you know, motivate that as much as we can however that's that's usually one of the uh, the things that they still retain so to the degree that I think you can motivate that and keep retain work there and uh, I think you've done that with this agreement additionally you know occasionally I get a chance to go to a theater here and the theaters are full absolutely full of Equinox and other vehicles uh, uh, touting the J.D. Power uh, awards. And the Equinox is most usually centered, you know, front and center on these advertisements. Uh, I think that bodes well for your retaining uh, that J.D. Power award, your retaining the, the work that you currently have. I also want to point out that as you... Uh, negotiated to maintain and improve the wage package. And this is a high wage package, not this isn't, you know, minimum wage or minimum wage plus two or three dollars or five dollars. These are these are considered to be high wage jobs. Bankers would call them prime jobs or core jobs. Uh, these are the jobs that if 
5.5 spin-off jobs in your community uh, are generated from. And uh, you've done an amazing job with that, of maintaining and keeping that. And um, that does not disadvantage us in the United States at all. It only emboldens our position. And I want to thank you personally on behalf of our team because we've talked about it at length, at length, because there were some challenges to us on this for even uh, supporting you. But i got to tell you, as you have come in and done such an amazingly good job, it will make just that much easier to retain and maintain and improve the wage packages here in the United States. So I want to thank you and your team, Mike, the chairman. I know he's not with us tonight uh, with other commitments probably or whatever, uh, but please express our sincere thank you to everyone in your leadership team and to all of your members, all of your members, for having done such a good work and in the solidarity that you demonstrated to get this amazing contract there in your local union. Well, uh, thank you. Your comments are very much appreciated, and I, I will definitely be sharing them with uh, our leadership team and, and, and the membership in the, in the, the days and, and the weeks to come. As I, I said earlier, I, we couldn't imagine the uh, support we received from uh, across Canada, U.S., and Mexico. The, the uh, workers' struggle is the same in every country. Uh, it's about uh, challenging the corporations uh, and their, their agenda to take stuff away from workers while they, they make uh, records profits. And we, we just played a small part in that fight, and I believe the fight will continue on for years and years to come because I don't believe uh, corporate greed and the, and the corporate agenda is, is going away anytime soon. So we need to, as workers, come, uh, come together, uh, unite, and, and, and stand in solidarity and take on the corporations. And, and hopefully uh, one day uh, we will succeed in uh, improving the conditions the wages and the economics and, and the security of, of our members for years to come. Yes, sir. Yeah, brother, let me tell you, that's uh, well said, very well said. Uh, and, you know, we, we aspire to stand shoulder to shoulder with you in that effort. Uh, I know that uh, both David and Jeff have some questions uh, for you. Uh, I'll pick on David first. Uh, and ask him to uh, pop in here and and uh, ask you anything that he might have on his mind. So uh, I, I, I think he has a pretty interesting question for you, or even a comment. So, uh, David, you want to uh, ask your question or comment? Sure. Dan, uh, um, here in the United States, um, we have federal laws that um, prevent and prohibit sympathy strikes um, written into also written into every labor agreement no strike clause that no strike clause basically buys the corporation four years of labor peace and the union receives in return um, four years of uh, 
assurance that workers won't be locked out. Um, it was recently written in a media source, and I won't disclose that source, um, but the assertion was made that your members were left to fight the auto giant company alone while Unifor kept 20,000 GM, Ford, and Chrysler workers in Canada on the job. Um, how problematic would that be in Canada if you were to walk 20,000 GM, Ford, and Chrysler, yeah, Chrysler workers out in sympathy of a Tammy strike? Well, we have the same laws or similar laws that uh, prohibit uh, lockouts or strikes during the uh, collective agreement. So uh, that's no different in Canada than it is in the in the states. It sounds like so that would be the first uh, hurdle uh, that we would uh, have to to get through. Uh, whether that could even happen. The second hurdle would be we would need to uh, speak with the other leaderships at the other locations and plants uh, and, and the members to, to make sure that uh, they're all on, on side. And, and I believe uh, for the most part, uh, when we're taking on the corporations, they probably would be. But it's a big, uh, it's a big ask to, uh, to ask people to go out and not sure what the outcome would be and the sacrifices uh that other workers would meet uh would would put in place uh to advance the cause of our our membership with that said it would be uh on a positive it would be a tremendous show of solidarity uh across the country if that was to happen we we had discussed that uh both locally and, and at the national uh, level, and at the the timing and and where we were in in the strike, uh, we had discussed some options of closing different locations and had made General Motors aware about the potential closing of of uh, different uh, locations in Canada, but. Uh, we didn't feel at that time that we were having those discussions that it would advance our our cause uh, and bring a successful conclusion to our strike as we've seen it. Thank you for bringing clarity to that, Dan. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank it, you. Uh, jumping in just a second before we bring in Jeff, I, I would just like to say it's amazingly risky when you have a contract in place that has a no strike or no lockout aspect to it and you go out on strike in sympathy with another local union now certainly we'd love to see that someday you know just everybody we you know, a lot of people touting a national strike and i'm sort of in that camp i don't go out and tout it all that much but i i think that the corporations have sort of gone too far uh, on this pendulum that swings back and forth between us. Uh, and uh, it's something that, if they don't get it together, that is a viable option uh, for us. But we need to be uh, very cognizant, very cognizant of the idea that 
you put a lot of people at risk uh, for summarily being discharged for violating a contract like that. So uh, we have to be very careful when we do that, and we uh, need the support of a lot of people, not just uh, a few, if that were ever to happen. But uh, I think that the CAMI people and all of Unifor uh, did an amazing job of uh, even trying to put that out there, that it's a possibility. So, again, thank you, Dan, for that, uh, everything that everybody did uh, to, to come to this uh, successful uh, conclusion. Uh, let me let me bring in, unless, David, do you have anything else for Dan? No, Dan explained that perfectly well. Um, okay. I wanted I clarity to that. He did a great yeah. job. A lot of risk to it, and he point, he pointed that out. I just want to you know emphasize it a little bit. Um, uh, Jeff, uh, do you have a question for Dan or comment? Uh, the only comment I have, Lever, is I totally agree with you um, and your statement to Dan. Um, they did a good job. I'm very proud of them. Uh, people, solidarity was there, and uh, that is a very good sign. I'm just really happy that uh, the strike's over and they got pretty much a good deal. Uh, I wish our top leadership would do the same thing for us, but that's a different story. Congratulations, Ben, and all your team uh, doing such a fine job and uh, taking care of business. That's Thank you very much, Jeff, for coming. Thanks. Um, yeah, thank you both, David and, and Jeff, for your uh, insightful comments and, and questions. Um, Dan, is there anything that you'd like to say to the listeners at all about any subject? I, get, I offer this to pretty much everybody uh, 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 before we conclude your interview here. Is there anything at all? I'd just like to reiterate uh, the appreciation of the support, the solidarity and camaraderie that was shown over the uh, our four-week strike. And like I say, it continues uh, today, even though we're back at work. And uh, just to, to point out that uh, we can challenge the corporations, each and every one of us, uh, especially unionized workers. We do have an avenue to challenge the corporations, and, and we need to... Uh, use these avenues and be it through the the day-to-day grievance process or uh, when we go into collective bargaining and try to change the uh, direction for the next three or four years of whatever your length your collective agreements are. But uh, just keep up the fight and know that uh, the the membership of Unifor Local 88 watches what happens in in the states through uh, the UAW uh, auto bargaining very closely, same as we watched the uh, Unifor Detroit 3 bargaining up here, and uh, we very much appreciate the efforts that are that are put forward and, and understand uh, some of the, uh, some or if not all of the struggles and, and impediments that are put into, uh, in, in our way by the corporation. So keep up the fight and solidarity. Yes. Yes, solidarity, brother. Dan. Yeah, solidarity for sure. Um, I would invite all the listeners. Uh, 
as you may well know, uh, the strike is over, but there are a few people that are still needing some strike assistance. I mean, I don't believe they've got a paycheck yet. So, um, you know, I, I know we had 9,000 uh, visits to our dot-com strike assistance page that we put out there. Uh, we're hoping that it actually translated into some, some benefit for the strikers, but there's still a need. So please visit our page on the dot-com striker assistance page. It is part of this uh, show uh, on the dot-com as you listen to it. Just it's above the show where you can, or below the, the show where you can uh, just click on it and go to the strike assistance page. And, you know, whether it's 10 or 12 or 20 uh, or whatever, uh, they still going to have a little need over there. Uh, and I know there's checks coming, at least one. <laughs> so, uh, for that. Uh, and uh, having said that, uh, Brother Dan Borswick, president, pres uh, president of Unifor Local 88, thank you so very much for coming on the show this evening and informing all the members of uh, the, uh, the great negotiating effort that you did and the benefits of the new contract. Let's give you a little hand of applause. There you go. So thanks a lot for coming on the show too, Dan. Brother Dan, thanks from the bottom of our heart. Thanks a lot, guys. Take care. Solidarity. 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 Okay. All right, I'll put him back in listen mode so he can listen to the rest of the show if he chooses to. And uh we'll get on with the show. Uh, I, you know, just just in saying, they they did a nice job there, guys. Don't you think? I mean, this was just amazing effort, almost textbook, almost. I I'm probably would say it is textbook on how to get the the what's due the membership in a way that is absolutely the members state solid and solidarity. And the negotiating team uh, did what they had to do in all regard. They had, I know that I, I, I often reference the flatbed speech by Jerry Diaz, Diaz, and he did a nice job as well uh, in supporting this local union 88. Uh, and I, I just can't say enough about how this went. Now, it's always you know, desirable to do this without a strike. But if you're going to go on strike, everybody has to stay together and let everybody, everybody know. this. There's no cracks here. No cracks. We're solid, and we're going to get what we deserve from this corporation. And they did a nice job. Makes it easier in two years' time. And, you know, the support that we gave, lent, lent to this local union, and the Unifor as a whole is, I believe, well-placed. So uh, what do you guys think? What do you think, Jeff? I, I agree. Um, solidarity is the only way we're going to get things done. Uh, so it's more or less a call to action to uh, join together and improve things. You know, yeah, it's crazy for these guys, yeah. Yeah, we we have improvements in the workplace. Uh, 
you know, and the benefit mm-hmm. packages that they got, all the remuneration, and some new programs, you know, domestic violence, such things like that. This is this is really forward-looking on their behalf, on their part. Yeah. I'm, so I'm sorry that Mike isn't here to listen to this, but I, you know, I tell you what, these guys did, and our brothers and sisters on this team did an amazing job. David, you got any other thoughts? You remember 1995, I believe it was 95, when... Uh, Jam was struck, and uh, guys were taken out of uh, the Flint um, stamping plant. Correct. Uh, mm-hmm. A little later than that. Oh, yeah, it was 98, was it? I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're correct, 98. Um, those guys were taken to Canada. Canada well, shipped guys... those guys back. Yeah. Yes, they were taken to Canada. And Canada refused to build one part off of those guys. I still believe that that solidarity shown in 98 exists today, even though um, the CAW is now uniform. um, I believe that solidarity exists across the border with the UAW and uniform. And that's really important to all of our membership in the future. We may need the solidarity of our brothers and sisters in Canada as much as they need us. And them guys did a really good job up there. Um, there are some tremendous tests from General Motors, no doubt, threatening to take the work to um, Mexico. But at the same time, they've made it terribly expensive to leave. So um, I think that was probably the best outcome at this time. Yes, absolutely, absolutely great, and most assuredly, we, you know, we aspire to have great solidarity, uh, team working for a living with our brothers and sisters in Canada, as we uh, uh, intend to aspire to ascend to leadership in this uh, great union, the UAW, and we want to extend that uh, solidarity to our Canada brothers and sisters in uniform uh, all across uh, Canada, including Local Union 88. And I hope this is a demonstration of such solidarity. So having said that, um, thanks again for Dan being on the show and Mike and his whole bargaining team and and, uh, Jerry Diaz and his whole uh, leadership staff of Unifor for doing such an amazing job in this effort here in Local Union 88 and get such a good agreement there. Uh, Many kudos, many kudos. All right, guys, let's let's get on with our show here. Uh, Jeff, uh, do you want, are you prepared to go forward with your uh, um, uh, UAW Constitution Series? I think it's seven now. You're on Article 8, Section 3 and 4. Is that correct? Um, yes, that's the notes I have. Um, so, we, yeah, we can get started. But I got to tell you, I'm still very upset over what happened last week. And um, just... Yeah, I, we understand. What went down. So, yeah, um, we, we understand. I'll get on we'll, with Yeah, I'll clarify some of that a little later in the show, but because uh, uh, we were, you know, I was cryptic 
and the, the listeners deserve a little little more information regarding this. And while we can't give you everything, we can be a little bit uh, more uh, uh, informative. So I'll do that later in the show, Jeff. Uh, yes. So okay, all right. Okay. Yep. Yep. We are uh, left off a couple weeks ago on section eight. That's the dimensions. And we go Article 8, Section 3. It says 25% of all the delegates seated at any international convention shall constitute a quorum. No business shall become before or be considered by the convention at any session unless a quorum is present. In the event of the chairperson of the convention is unavailable, to obtain quorum on the last day of the convention, all unfinished business of the convention shall be referred to the International Executive Board. That's Section 3. Section 4 is a little bit longer, so we'll we'll carry on. Section 4, special conventions of the International Union shall be called by the international president. One, when so instructed by two-thirds vote of the international executive board or an event of a failure of the international president to do so by such other than board members as the board may designate. Two, by referendum vote of the membership initiated upon a written request of at least 15 local unions from five different states or provinces having an aggregate membership of not less than 20% of the total membership as reported to the preceding convention. The local unions demanding special convention must state the reason or reasons why such convention is desired, the place and date of the convention I'm also losing my place, and my eyes are going bad. I mentioned the dates for the mailing out and returning of ballots. It shall be the duty of the international president or persons designated by the international executive board to send out a call to state such a reason or reasons in the place for the dates involved in transmitting the, the proposed to local unions for a referendum vote. The reason for and against such convention shall be published and forward to all local unions. Such convention shall not have the authority to consider any matters other than what is which is specifically stated in the call for the convention. It shall be mandatory that all local unions hold a secret vote on the question of calling a special convention. All local unions shall vote their decision on the question involved through local union procedure by secret ballot. Local union election boards shall tabulate the ballots and send the local unions vote to the international Secretary Treasurer, who within 30 days after the setting of the deadline of the return date, shall publish 
the yes and no vote of such of each local union and at your official publication, if a majority of all the members voting in all local unions is in favor of the special election, the special election shall be mandatory. When the International Executive Board has directed the calling of a special election proceeding to the provisions of the one, the first sentence of this, this section, the delegates from each local union who have been elected to the preceding regular constitutional convention shall serve as delegates to the convention. Each local union shall carry the same total vote as it carries such previous regular constitution of prevention. If the purpose or one of the purposes of the exposure convention is collecting bargaining policies, the president and bargaining negotiating committee chairperson is a difficult or a different individual. If not, delegates under this provision made by local union membership action you made special delegates to such special convention with the rights to be present on the convention floor with a voice but without taking any vote. Under the same circumstances and units of amalgamated amalgamated local unions with membership in excess of one thousand the unit chairperson made made by the members Unit membership action be made such a special delegate. If there are vacancies in the voting delegation, they should be followed in the field with the, for the following matter. I'm going to adjust my screen here a little bit. A, by alternates, they are, they are the same as elected or to the preceding regular constitutional convention. B, if the number of delegates is insufficient after applying a by re- reportionating the votes to the local union among remaining delegates to extent permitted by section seven of this article. C if the number of delegates is insufficient after applying A and B and the purpose or or one of the purposes of the special collections argument policies by including any special delegates to which the local union or the membership may have provided for in accordance to this paragraph with the president of the local union to proceed the bargaining negotiating the chairpersons. Okay. D the number of delegates if the number of delegates is insufficient after applying A, B, and C by electing additional delegates, these additional delegates to be nominated and elected by a secret ballot at a successive membership meeting. The required notices for such nominations and elections being those set forth in sections 22, 23, and 24 of this article. This foregoing procedure shall be disregarded in the event of any special convention directed to be called by referendum vote to 
of the first sentence of this convention, of this section, in which the event of the, the vote of each local union and the election of delegates from each local union shall be the same as provided for this for in this article for regular constitutional conventions, except for implying section 9 of this article to determine the average monthly per capita taxes paid by the local union. A 24-month period, including in the sixth month prior to the month of the special convention, is to convene shall be used. That's for... Um, this stuff is really dry and boring, um, but it's it's important to know this stuff. Um, you know, when you talk about this, some of your coworkers they think you're crazy, but it is important. So that's all for tonight, Leroy. Okay, let's give you a big hand there, Jeff. <laughs> oh, how about that? Yeah. Uh, yeah, how about that? Land for Jeff getting through all that. Um, uh, David, do you have any comments on this? Nope, Jeff did a good job. One of the hardest things it is to do is get members to read the OAW Constitution. So, yeah, it's tough. Uh, this is um, this is an interesting couple sections. Um, I know. You know, uh, because. This addresses special conventions, brothers and sisters and listeners. Uh, special convention of the UAW. Uh, and these are often called by the international president. I say often. Uh, periodically, there's a need to have one by the international president. We've had, to my knowledge, two in the last uh, three years or so, uh, three and a half years. Uh, since 2014, the spring of 2014, the International had to call a special convention for the Region 9 only. And then they called one uh, recently for Region 2B in Ohio and uh, uh, in Indiana. So these happen occasionally. Not as often as you might think, but they do occur. Now, the reason for those two was that the regional director decided to retire early prior to the end of the uh, term of office. Uh, that's my understanding of that. So that happens. But then there's a special provision that if at least 20% of the me membership, represented by 15 local unions, across at least five different states, and those, again, those numbers have to be 20% of the previous convention, okay, as reported out in the total numbers. Okay, so if you had, let's say, for example, uh, you had uh, active membership of 400 and uh, some members, so 400 some thousand members, let's say 400 even, 20% would be 80. If you were to include the retirees in that total membership number, of, and that's closer to 1.2 million or 1.1 million, uh, then you'd have to have 200,000 
uh, and of course you'd re, you know you would include the retirees in that as well. Uh, so the total membership uh, being 1.1 million, and then of course the 15 local unions minimum would have to represent across five different states would have to represent 20% of that total number. And of course that would include retirees in that case. Uh, and that's how I believe that this would be uh, calculated, in my opinion. Uh, and then uh, if you have that, then you could call a special election for a very specific issue. It has to be specific uh, that you didn't like X, Y, or Z. And for the most part, the delegates uh, would be the same unless they're vacancies for whatever reason uh, that the person uh, resigned or retired and didn't want, I mean, you can be a de delegate and be retired. Maybe the re uh, retiree deceased um, or an active worker deceased. We've seen some of that. Uh, and they, if they're elected delegate, uh, then you'd have an opening, right? So then those openings are filled in the way it's described uh, later in the Section 2, uh, or, yeah, Section 4, uh, that would be... Section 4, 2, uh, at the end of 2, and A, B, C, and D uh, on how they would fill the vacancies. So, uh, and that gets a little complicated, probably, you know, more than we really need to go into here, uh, other than that it's in the Constitution and Jeff did cover that. So, uh, that's a synopsis of this uh, very, very dry part that uh, Jeff did an amazing job of uh, articulating to everybody tonight. So, uh, and we're going through these a little at a time. We'll get through the Constitution uh, pretty quick. And there's a number of things that are coming up that are going to be very, very interesting. Um, let me ask now, Jeff, do you see any changes that need to be made or addressed in your report tonight and as far as the language in the Constitution? Do you see anything? Oh, those are some that have to be reworded. Um, it's just too long and too dry. I mean, well, it, I mean, it, it's just you know, it's it's going to be long. Uh, but do you see any changes in the selection of delegates, or the replacement of delegates, or uh, anything, you know, regarding special elections? No, I do not. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yes. There's changes to the Constitution that we're going to, you know, recommend, but I, I didn't see any right. of this either. David, do you do you have anything that you saw? In the, in um, it's not anything that I saw. Um, it was something that was reported. Um, that was, uh, I can't remember the region. Um, one of our members... Um, reported that they were in a meeting and that international staff had uh, reiterated to the folks that were there that day if they didn't support um, the administration caucus that they should leave the room. Uh, very distasteful. Very distasteful. Yeah, very distasteful. That's all I have to say later. Okay. Well, that's that's political, uh, and, uh, you know, politics are part of our union. Uh, but if that 
uh, uh, is being said at a local union meeting where dues dollars are being meant, used to, to do that, uh, then that's probably inappropriate because that's campaigning with dues dollars, and, of course, that's against federal law. Uh, so uh, having said that, uh, uh, thank you for that in, in, uh, insightful information. I think Jeff is going to cover uh, a few sections in, in uh, Article 8. He'll go probably 5, 6, 7, 8, 9 a little long. Not too long. Maybe nine, up to nine, Jeff. You want to prepare. Mm -hmm. If anybody is reading the Constitution and you see anything that we've covered so far, or in what's coming up next week, up to nine, because this will be, uh, you know, uh, I think it's what do you do? Three and four, so it'll be five through nine uh, next week. Uh, if you have anything that you'd like to see dressed or explained uh, in more fully or might need to be changed by resolution, please send us send it in to Working for a Living at Working for a Living. Okay? And we'd appreciate that. And, you know, thanks to all of our emailers uh, all over time. Uh, so we appreciate those, too. Uh, David, uh, you were going to cover the, the CAMI report uh, but, of course, we had that done in person tonight, so we're, you, you got off the hook here. And I'm going to, uh, unless you have anything else to address along those lines, uh, David. Uh, no, you carry on, sir. Okay, good. I just want to make sure that we don't jump on, step on anybody's toes here. Um, so I, I said earlier that I would uh, address uh, the, and clarify some of the stuff from last week that, to the degree that we can. And uh, I'm going to attempt to do that in a way that's clearer than the way it was cryptic last week. And um, do, we'll start just by saying, uh, uh, there, there are laws beyond the UAW Constitution that we're beholding to as a union. Uh, and uh, quite frankly, that all workers and all companies across the nation are beholding to in their treatment of uh, their uh, workers, whether, whether union or not. And that's administered by the National Labor Relations Board. Okay, and they get into what's called the National Labor Relations Act. Okay, typically the Wagner Act, Taft Hartley, uh, Fair Labor Standards, uh, out of order, uh, Wagner, Labor Standards, Taft Hartley, and the Landrum Griffin Act. Um, so uh, just know that those exist. And then we have our Constitution, and then there are bylaws at the local union that are provided for in the Constitution, so they still are constitutionally based. Okay? So, having said that, if uh, a member distinguishes their self in an unflattering way, openly and in public to other members 
is not just unflattering. It's just maybe unacceptable behavior. Then people start to look at that particular member. And what people do, you know, is different for everybody, but one of the things that some people do is, you know, look up the law and see what might apply. And you've heard us report on Title 29, USC 504. Now, this is part of the Landrum-Griffin Act, and that's uh, otherwise known as the Labor Management Reporting Disclosure Act, LMRDA. And that falls at uh, Title 29, sec, uh, USC Section 504, falls within the confines of that particular act. This is a congressional act. Congress uh, formulated it, passed by both houses of Congress, and signed by the President of the United States into law for everybody to abide by. This is not something that's a game. And that particular section, 504, is something that prohibits many people from being union officers. Most felonies, not all, fall within the confines of that. They fall short of a felony for child support or uh, drunk driving or something along those lines. Those are not included. They have to be a pretty bad felony. In the instance that we were discussing last week and so angry about, uh, a person had a felony that distinguished, uh, the member distinguished themselves as, you know, coming under the radar of a lot of people. And a whole lot of people started going, what is that? What is that? We won't get into what was done. Okay. But it was appalling and unacceptable behavior by an elected official. And it turns out this elected official was a band member underneath the felony aspect of 504, felony that this member is reported to have had by the Michigan State Police fell under the guidelines of 504. Remember, that's federal law passed by both houses of Congress and signed into law by the President of the United States. Big deal. Didn't happen overnight. Wasn't easy getting there. But everybody in leadership, elected leadership of our nation, agreed that this has to be law. So, uh, two people, two members, decided that they would inform by appeal, emergency appeal, under Article 31, inform the UAW International Executive Board of this status of this member. Status of this member 
was then considered by the International Executive Board. And in their decision, their decision on July 31st, 2017, they concurred and wrote the member in question, and we're going to be a little cryptic about the member in question, that's in violation because the member has a uh, confer is confer the, the UAW wrote uh, the member in question is a confirmed band member. Okay, in other words, his record has been confirmed. The record, as reported in the appeal, emergency appeal, was simply a snapshot of the. Michigan State Police record. That's all. And that was sent to the UAW International Executive Board. And having read that record, they went and checked it themselves. And they confirmed that the record is presented to them in the appeal by two members that this elected official was a confirmed band member. They sent that down. Now, the member uh, is no longer in office, and there's some discrepancy or some question, let's say, there's some question as to why the member left office, but most assuredly, the international UAW directed the local union to deal with this confirmed band member in a way that is appropriate under the law. In other words, remove the member. Now, the member, for whatever reason, motivated the member, then filed charges against two people that signed the appeal and a third party that had nothing to do with the appeal, and made his the the charges of the member the member made the charges of uh, falsifying, uh, uh, circulating, falsified criminal record through their appeal. Very narrow. This is very narrow charges against three people, three members. So the confirmed band member, a convicted felon for a bad felony, according to the law, then charged, arguably in retaliation, three people, two people that wrote the, the appeal, and narrowed his charge to they circulated false criminal record through their appeal. And those charges were then sent to the local union executive board, and they decided that they were proper under several uh, items under the uh, Article 31 
Section 3, uh, the number of uh, subsections throughout that. Now, the, uh, the member made those charges, and the executive board confirmed that they're proper. Now, remember that the International Executive Board confirmed, and this is the angst from last week, they confirmed, they concluded that the member is a confirmed band member, and they confirmed the record that was presented in the original appeal against this felon. Okay, so now we have this little dichotomy going on. So the the uh, how can they possibly be substantial? Let me let me get to the, the appropriate language here. Uh, that seems to be in, in a little bit of question, not a little bit, a lot, uh, and got everybody exercised over this. A lot of people. And we're going to go down here. I'm going to get my computer to act right here. Down here and find the exact language uh, that uh, says what this is all about. Uh, so, uh, section, uh, bouncing all over here for some reason. Uh, Computer has gone pretty much nuts on me, but we'll get the proper language so that everybody understands the bone of contention here. And there's several bones of contention, but this is just one of them. Retaliation is one. But in the sense that they have to be proper, okay, uh, one of the elements that they have to say uh, is Section 3E, okay, and that in all case this is what 3e says in all cases an otherwise proper charge charges must be supported by substantial direct evidence Subs must be supported by substantial direct evidence as well as the evidence of at least one corroborating witness which if not rebutted would establish all elements of the charges okay now, there's a number of things that were said here. Okay, they have to be su supported by substantial direct evidence. Okay, substantial that the charges against this felon, as represented by the Michigan State Police records, are false. And remember that the International UAW in their concurring with the appeal itself and the charges as represented in the appeal, and remember that's very narrow scope on the charges by the convicted felon against these three members, that they uh, circulated uh, false information about his criminal record through their appeal. So the question is, 
is the information in the appeal false or not? Okay. And you must have substantial information. Again, let me find this again. It must be supported by substantial direct evidence. Supported. The charge must be supported by substantial direct evidence that it's false. That the record as represented in the appeal was false. Okay. Remember, the International Executive Board concurred and said the felon is a confirmed band member. So they did their own research and said and confirmed the appeal as it was written and presented to them as the Michigan State Police record against this person, this member. So with all of that said, and they're in the full knowledge of all of this, and by the way, you know, when you make such a glaring dichotomy with the facts as a body, you can be considered liable for making such a decision that has such a dichotomy, true versus false. Now, I should point out here that the truth is an absolute defense against somebody libeling you or accusing you of libel. Okay, the truth is an absolute defense. And the truth is that the only thing in the appeal was the record as contained in the Michigan State Police records. And this was concurred with to the point where the International Executive Board said, this is a confirmed band member. Confirmed the record in the appeal. Okay. So now the three parties that are that are charged, they go, this can't possibly be that this record is, you know, is false. There's nothing false about this at all. This is retaliatory and anger by a convicted felon that got outed. Okay? That's another whole subject that needs to be, you know, considered as well. Retaliation is prohibited by any number of laws for somebody that has uh, done exactly and specific of what's occurred here. So the people that are charged, those three people that are charged with falsifying the record appeal to the International Executive Board saying, you know, you guys said this confirmed band member. And they said, oh, the charges because of all the witness statements are proper. Now, let's go back to Section 3E again, Article 31, Section 3E, okay? And it said it must be uh, supported by substantial direct evidence. In other words, the state police record as presented in this appeal is false, 
as well as the evidence of one corroborating witness, here comes the caveat, which, if not rebutted, if not rebutted, would establish all the elements of the charges. Now, in order to rebut something, you must be aware that there are substantial, that there are uh, evidence of one corroborating witness, and there are witness statements that you could read and accept or rebut. On that fact alone, you were not; these three people were not afforded the ability to see or be aware of or know of in any way. They were not aware in any way, shape, or form of any witness statements at all. And, of course, the IUAW, International Executive Board, said that there's witness statements that are here, and they say they... They're, they differ from what the three charged parties say that we didn't falsify anything. That others say they falsified that. Now, I'm sure that they have a whole lot of other stuff that they're bragging into this. Okay? But the charges are very, very, very narrow and say they've circulated false information about his criminal record through their appeal. In other words, the only charge is what they wrote in the appeal. All right. So now, notwithstanding that we've already made the case that the Michigan State Police record is being challenged as false, being falsified, now we have these witness statements that the IUAW International Executive Board says they have, but the charged parties have never seen. And as such, they could not rebut them. Therefore, E, Article 31, Section 3E, is inviolate. It's, invi it's being violated by the notion that these charges are proper because they could not have been rebutted. They weren't given the opportunity to do that. They just kept them in secret. fact is, the executive board minutes where this was considered have yet to be published or presented to their membership from June and July. Interesting, isn't it? Yeah. So... Now, the IUAW, on October 5th, says, notwithstanding that they said on the 31st of July that he's a confirmed band member, now they say that there's substantial, get it right again, substantial direct evidence that the record in the appeal as presented that is an exact copy of the Michigan State Police record is false. That there's substantial direct evidence. And there's corroborating witnesses who've made statements, but the charged haven't been given those. So the IUAW, IEB, has said, by and through Dennis Williams' signature, 
on October 5th that the charges are proper. Okay, Dennis signed that. Okay, now let's go back to my comment from last week. July 31, under Dennis Williams' signature, said he's a confirmed band member. They concluded and confirmed the record as presented to them that the felon is indeed a felon, and it's a felony that precludes him from holding office, and they directed the union local union, effectively to remove him, remove the member. Okay? So on the 31st of July, they say the appeal is true. The record as presented in the appeal is true. But on October 5th, they say there's substantial direct evidence that it's false because people made statements to that effect. There's there's witness statements to that effect that it's false. It's true in July 31st, and it's false on October 5th. under the signature of the same individual who happens to be the president of the UAW, Dennis Williams. One of those statements that he signed is not true and therefore a lie. Now that's under appeal. Okay, that's under appeal to the Public Review Board, the decision of October 5th, 2017, that said there's substantial direct evidence that the Michigan State Police record, as presented in this appeal, is false. And, of course, there was immediate, those those came down on this, they, they seemed, I guess they got them on the 7th, and they, they the charge three charge parties formulated an answer and it got sent up to the public review board on the ninth Monday. Okay. On the eighth on uh on the, I'm sorry, on the sixth fifteenth. On the fifteenth on the fifteenth, in full knowledge now that the the three charge members not only sent it to the appropriate international authorities for uh, redirecting to the public review board, as con- as the, cons- uh, the UAW Constitution says, they took another step and dropped off a copy over to their local union, so that the, all the local union leadership knows that there's an ongoing appeal to the public review board. That brings us to the 15th, the reason for all this anger. 
on the 15th, in full knowledge there's an appeal, and in violation of due process, guaranteed by the Landrum-Griffin Act, otherwise known as Labor Management Reporting Disclosure Act, guarantees full and fair hearing, otherwise known as due process. In violation of that, the local union leadership at the direction of the president selected and empowered a trial committee against the three charged. Thus the anger from last week. So <laughs> I tell some folks about this that are amazingly educated in the area that considers this. And they they find it laughable. Absolutely laughable that you would bring charges against somebody for a, a record that's the Michigan State Police record saying it's false. It's laughable that the International Executive Board would in one hand say that it's true and in the next one say it's false in two decisions. Laughable by most people. What's called reasonable people find it laughable. That, brothers and sisters, is exactly and specifically why our union has such a bad name and why so many folks are reticent, reticent to become members. Such things as what I've just articulated are unacceptable in most people's world. Somebody asked me, do you think it's not good for our union that you cover this? What I think is not good for our union is that it's being done. And I must tell you something else. Before antibiotics, penicillin, or anything like that, if you had an injury or an open sore, the old wives would tell you to go sit in the sun until your sore was healed. It was the only disinfectant. The sunshine of the light of day before antibiotics was the only disinfectant against an open sore of any kind. And I submit, as I report on this, that the sunshine of the light of day is the only disinfectant that will cure the frickin' cancer in our union. And 
and it's manifest. It isn't just this. Uh, I will say that's the conclusion of my report regarding clarification for last week. David, do you have anything to add? No, I don't think I should. A lot of anger out there. Although, although um, I see some problematic issues in what you've just said, not that you're not correct. You are absolutely correct in what you've stated. But um, there are more defendants. That's all. Oh, I yeah. That's, I think there's somebody going to, uh, you know, I, I told Dennis last week, fix this. You know, fix it. Now it's been a week later. Plenty of time to fix it. And I guess, you know, mail, mail's going to come again. That's all I'll say. Uh, Jeff, do you have any uh, comments? You know, as you restrain yourself from your anger. I probably should just keep my mouth quiet. For the time being, um, but you are exactly right in your explanation, and um, there are a few people very upset over this. Right. Well, there was another article set of, or another uh, Article 31 charge that was brought uh, uh, for the original. Uh, acting out by this individual and somehow those charges on September or October 16th 15th October 15th were summarily dismissed as never occurring and like I said a mail's still going to run every day I think it runs and typically it's you know Monday through Friday with a uh, substitute mail delivery person on Saturday, usually. So um, we'll just look for the mail, and they'll look for their mail, and everybody's looking for mail. But I'm going to tell you something. What's going on is wrong. Okay. David, you have something? Yeah, I'd like to ask a question. When Dennis Williams affixes his signature to anything, is he signing for the entire executive board, including nine regional directors? Not on anything, but in the matter of an appeal, the appeal goes to the International Executive Board in care of Dennis Williams, and when Dennis Williams signs an, an answer to an appeal, a decision, that is on behalf of the International Executive Board. So, like I said, uh, that's a, that concludes my report. Uh, I think that's all the questions that we that we have for that. Uh, I want to thank all the listeners for uh, listening in tonight. Thank, I mean, the switchboard's still just chock full of people. Thank you for coming in, and some of you are uh, easily recognized uh, as numbers that I have had communication with over the years. Thank you for coming in uh, and uh, listening. 
uh, this evening's show in live and in personal, or live and in person. Uh, so we appreciate that um, very much. Uh, and, uh, you know, feel free to drop by again another time. I uh, want to uh, thank uh, uh, all of our listeners around the world. Uh, most uh, Norway is the most represented around the world. The listeners, we appreciate Norway listening in. Uh, and the rest of the continents, with the exception of Antarctica. And um, we don't have anybody in Australia. But I'm working on that because I've actually had communication with some people in Australia and informed them about our show. So we're going to probably see that pick in or kick in here. Uh, so um, uh, thanks to everybody for listening around the world and the United States our friends in Mexico, and our listeners and friends in Canada. In solidarity to each and every one of, of you, and again, kudos to the CAMI people up in uh, lo- uh, at Local Union 88, Unifor, and all their leadership. Kudos for a great, great job that you did there. Uh, textbook, textbook. Uh, so having said that, I'll say uh, uh, goodnight to David and Jeff, and um, good night, listeners. So we'll close the show now. Good night, everybody. Good night, everyone.